and welcome to Veterans to Success. And today I've got with me Mark. Right now, as usual, we don't go into a big bio on Mark because it'll come out all in the conversation and it's like a big reveal. So Mark, hello, good morning and thank you for uh, joining us today. Morning Joe, good to see you. Brilliant. So let's get straight into it then. We've had so we've had a few great conversations and we met on LinkedIn, which is something we'll come on to later on. Now, it's about discovering about you as a person. So before you joined the military, way before you joined the military, what were you up to? What did you get down to and what prompted you to join the military? I had to spend a bit of time thinking about this last night, Joe, to remember, remember exactly where this came from. Um, so when I joined the military back in 1999 as a young 18-year-old, um, I, my aspiration was to become a stuntman. Um, I had no long-term military service background. I, I had I had no um, family connections to the military beforehand. Uh, I was literally flicking through the UCAS handbook, wondering how one goes about becoming a stuntman. I had absolutely no idea, no mentoring or coaching to, to move into an industry like that. Um, and I saw an, a, a, an advert for a gap year commission to go away and spend a year being, a, being an officer, being an army officer. Um, and I thought that could be some great, good, good in the CV. That would look good in the CV. It'd be a great little kind of intro to military life, you learn a bit of the environment, a little bit of the people, you know, get into the culture uh, and, you know, all good stuff from an you know, aspiring actor who wanted to go away and do stunt work for a living. Right, so so the typical army brochure, <laughs> coloured photos, sucked you in. You got sucked in by the, by the brochure. Com- completely sucked in with, with absolutely no idea of how, you know, a stunt <laughs> career would ever go, with no idea of how any of that actually worked. It seemed like it it, it would work as a logical kind of stepstone to... To, to something else, but I had a university degree that was in um, it was an arts degree, so no background, no no, no politics and economics, no no um, military history, absolutely no connections to the military whatsoever. I was a complete outsider to to military life uh, when I first turned up at the Princess of Wales's regiment, having had three weeks at Sandhurst, um, which is as long as you get for this gap year commission course. Um, you 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 know bare basics of holding a rifle, cleaning a uniform, turning up looking vaguely presentable. Uh, it is an absolute crash course in in military life, um, and then you expected to turn up and be an army officer. Um, in, in my case, phenomenally fortunate to join the the, the great and the, the bold Princess of Wales's Royal Regiment down in Tibworth at the time, as they were then were, um, and, and spend a year being an army officer. And you are absolutely thrown in the deep end. Um, so three weeks is not even nearly close enough to to have any idea of what you're doing as an army officer. So I proceeded to walk around the place bumping into things banging into stuff making every mistake going so you know future questions about mistakes and failures and learning from them um it's a great great way of doing that it's going to throw yourself in the deep end and see how you swim that's that's fabulous that because i know i went to sandhurst for different reasons because i i went there working on on the assault courses and and stuff Three weeks. That's that's amazing because i know that the full the full sandhurst officer training course even when even when they you popped out the other end, then you come for the engineers. If for officers that get allocated engineers, then you come and do the young officers course, which we used to support all the time. We had a great laugh yeah. actually. So only three weeks, and then you're you've got your commission, Queen's Commission, as it was then, King's Commission now. Yeah, a short uh, a short service commission. Yeah, very bounded. Yeah. And uh, basically, you can just about sign. A leave chip, can't you? At that point, but probably not even that. I think this is four days of JPA as well. So those those sort of things you learn on the job. There's a lot of learning on the fly, Joe. Um, yeah, you know, a great a great education and learning and an intro into not being fully prepared for what it is you're going into and learning as you go, uh, relying on those around you to to help um, to to give you some kind of guidance and advice. Um, finding your own way, learning from your mistakes. You know, some really good lessons in in making because because the only way you could learn at that stage, having had three weeks of training, yeah. was you learn through making mistakes, I, um, and then picking yourself up from those mistakes and making good of it. Thank you for that. And you did mention the great and the good. So uh, at the Prince of Wales, so how much did how much support did you get, and how much prejudice was there or not? You only being a three week commissioned gap year officer. I think certainly. I mean. This is the first of my of my commissions. Obviously, I, you know, I joined full time afterwards. I came out, and, and this is a sort of a formative, changing moment. Was was this short service commission? Um, 
I, I got a lot of help from uh, some very good people, fellow officers, in the most part, who tried to kind of guide and steer me into you know what the right way to do things. So these are all guys who've done the full years course at Sandhurst, done their young officers. You know, it's an infantry officer, infantry course, so it would have been PCBC afterwards. Um, yeah, they've had a year and a half, almost two years or so, to to get used to this life. Yeah, um, you know, providing whatever guidance and steering, and there are some. Um, some of the people I was I was with in the Gap Year Commission are still very much there today. Uh, I've seen James Martin's face recently. Um, James was a uh, fairly senior captain um, in the Princess of Wales when I was there. Uh, I've recently seen him now appear as um, you know, one of the people responsible for the extraction out of Kabul um, as a brigadier. Uh-huh. So you know these these people are still go- still going today, uh, um, and these people very much shaped me as a young officer uh, with absolutely no idea what I was doing after three weeks of training. You know, these are guys who who really kind of helped me out and pushed me through and 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 you know kept me on the on the straight and narrow as best they could, um, whilst also having fun with it as well. Um, so yeah. I came out of this experience you know, a year a year in an infantry regiment with three weeks training, loads of mistakes under my belt, loads of learning opportunities uh, as a changed man. Um, the idea of going and being a stunt man now is completely gone. That completely <laughs> wire walled its way out of my thought process. And all I wanted to do was um, was I, I wanted six weeks off. Um, start university, and then as soon as I turn up at university, I realised I just want to go back to being 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 in the army. I want to do this right this time. Actually, go through the full course, learn how this works. You know, the, the best people I'd met were the guys I've been working with for the last year um, in the in the PWRR. So um, yeah, that more or less sold me up to to, to, to becoming a full time member. So I then left university, went straight to Sandhurst, did the full course, um, joined the Royal Artillery, um, as you say, went through the Young Officers course afterwards. So the full year at Sandhurst, and then about six months or so learning how to actually apply my trade as a as an artillery officer. That's fantastic. And and so Hollywood wouldn't like people who aspire to be stuntmen to go on the gap year officers course really because they'd have no stuntmen then. Uh, and I'm so it, pleased. It, go on. It, phenomenal experience. Phenomenal experience, but they'd lose more people I think than they'd keep. Really well so so okay, so you've touched on your military career or or the transition from civil street to military. What? Tell me a bit about your military career. What did you get up to, please, Mark? Uh, so again, I was very lucky, Joe. Um, I I more or less let the winds take me where it where where they where they um, where they would. I didn't. I can't genuinely say I had some sort of structured plan as to where things were going. Um, so I, I joined I joined Sanders, wanted to be an infantry officer, and this was around about the 2000 and, uh, 2002, 2003. So the infantry were made. Uh, about two thirds, uh, a third of the size, and about twice as busy in the same moment uh, by the government of the day. So we lost some infantry places, and I had to go back and halfway through Sanders change my entire career plan and and try and pitch for uh, another an alternative to the infantry because the places had been and stripped back massively. So I had to go very much cap in hand to um, our royal artillery representative at Sandhurst, a uh, great guy, a uh, great man who was willing to go and take me into the fold as an artillery officer. And then from there, joined to young officers six months and then proceeded to work my way through uh, a very, very, really interesting and I think very pertinent career for today's world in in drones. Um, so the Royal Artillery responsible for some of the surveillance assets um, that the, the army uses. Um, and again, this day and age, you hear the word drone, you know, every couple of sentences. And it's a, it's a, it's a very common thing now for the world. You can get out of the Maplins and buy your own. Um, yeah. Back in the sort of early two thousands, this was a very, very, still a very new, very, very limited understanding capability um, that was being flown and operated, uh, not as we recognise it today, not in any way, shape, or form as aerospace would recognise it. It's done in this day and age. A great formative experience to have at the time, being on this sort of sharp end of unmanned air system use uh, in a military context, which in today's world is phenomenally useful experience. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to be right on the on the sharp end of a lot of the new capabilities that were coming in, but more importantly, new ways of doing things. So, you know, there is no, there is no bad experience. Every gunner officer wants to join Joe to become, you know, to be the gun guy, to be the you know, close support. You know, you always want to be the, you know, the person near the guns because that's what yeah. you join the guitar. Sorry for which they've got five guns. I will say from my experience that, that you go through the training process to, to start that. And everyone sort of believes that, if you don't get your first job, if you don't get the first, if you don't get the job you wanted, that in some way, shape or form, that's your first experience of failure. Um, there is no bad experience that you can have uh, in the military. The only bad experience is the one you don't learn from. And, you know, whilst I wouldn't have known it at the time, and I think is, uh, you know, there's the, a pervasive disappointment of not being, you know, being a gunner and yet not going guns. Um, actually, the best thing I could ever have done was was join, you know, a relatively small and niche 
capability area like unmanned air systems by drones because let's face it, in this day and age, it, it couldn't have set me up better for success in my current role um, in aviation. That's fantastic. I picked up on a few things there as well. So so what interests me is that you had no structured plan. Although, having said it, because the, the one thing I found from my uh, military career is that the powers that be have an overall global picture of what's going on and who, where they need to send people. Like, for instance, I qualified as a plumber in the engineers. So we didn't get posted as a regiment. We got posted as an individual. So if there was a plumber needed in Cyprus, you'd get you'd, you'd be fortunate if you got it. But, I mean, they'd look at how many plumbers were in one unit. Well, we only need two. We've got three. So we'll send uh, Joe Bloggs off there. So... Um, the fact is, though, your structured plan was to get great success. I know people use the term regularly, lucky. And I, I think about luck in the way that labour under correct knowledge. So <laughs> so labour under correct knowledge, because you, I believe that you've got to be focused on success. You, you might not know what that success transpires into, because they might just say, right, we need you lot over there, you're off. You're getting on. You're getting on a four-tonner, and you're getting on a plane, perk, whatever, and you're gone. The thing is, though, you make do because you said there's no bad experience except the one you don't learn from, which is brilliant. Because uh, the only bad question is the one you didn't ask. So there's yep. lots. So it's really great. I can tell you've got a real success-driven attitude, which is good. So what happened next? You're in the drones. What? What um, what does that mean? What do you do, and what challenge so, did you face? I mean, this is. I think this is a really useful segue, and I, I love, I love your, I love the translation of luck into into something that's more knowledge and skills based. There, Joe. You know, we we talk in the military about making your own luck, um, yeah, yeah. and 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 yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk about say we'll come we we'll talk about failure. Um, you know, it, we, this this is going to come up a lot. I think we in the British Army find ourselves so well, British military in general, but. The British Army, in particular, and certainly in the in the operational deployments that I've had, we do find ourselves quite often, you know, feeling that kind of the, the touch of hand, you know, the, the the hand of God touching our shoulder slightly and saying, "Oh, well, that was really lucky." Yeah. Um, you, we do to a degree make our own luck, and you and and now I work in risk management, you know, across a you know a much broader and wider field than just aviation and drones and everything else. You know, my my experience in risk management shows me that actually there is such a thing as luck. But it is something we do have some degree of craft over, um, mm-hmm. and it all comes from the right skill sets, the right kind of mindset, values, um, you know, the, the right genetic level, you know, the, the, the good, the good bone structure, uh, yeah, and DNA level setup that we can get to, to to set up for success. That is what's making our own luck. Now there is the yeah. dice roll. There's always a chance. Um, and I think certainly that's that's true of the next stages of my career, where, where I I was lucky enough again, lucky someone's plan perhaps or just the or just you know the fate the the, the way that things were going at the time um to work with all these new abilities coming in um all in the unmanned aviation space that were all being developed and 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 written on the fly on operations um i had a, a tour history way outside of normal harmony guidelines i was i was deployed pretty much every six months four six months between 2006 and 2010 um, because these, you know, what what I was involved in, the, the capabilities I got myself involved in, these uh, drone capabilities were in massively high demand um, yeah. in both Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. So, uh, you know, the regiments that I worked with and the, the capabilities I worked with, um, these guys and girls were getting bounced out to theatre pretty much every six months or so uh, on a constant rotation, very high demand uh, and, and very high pressure assets that they wanted to see. Um, you know, and I was lucky enough to be along for the ride. I said lucky at the time. I was probably getting quite cooked. Um, I was melting myself. You know, you, you can only spend so many time bouncing back and forth between the UK and you know, Iraq, and the UK and Afghanistan, or in some cases Iraq to Afghanistan without a stopover in between. Yeah, um, yeah. You can only do that so often without getting quite tired. Um, so come 2010, I asked my um, my desk officer for you know a bit of a break, a bit of a pause. That was my fourth tour, by which time I'd, I'd moved into uh, what we've more traditionally call it. Guided role, uh, joint fires, and, and running around nine foot high corn in in some very dark places in the world. You know, doing the uh, doing the infantry thing, which again, best job I ever had, without any doubt. But um, thankfully, everyone came back with everything attached. Oh, I said, great. lucky, you know, touch wood. Um, yeah, and I asked for a break, so I then had two years or so working with um, 
a, a capability development role based in the UK, quite quiet, quite passive. Um, and at 2012, that's when the government of the day decided to um, hesitate use the word cull, but it did certainly feel like that at the time. Yeah. I think the way it felt yeah, was yeah. quite relevant. Yeah. Um, cull the army down to about two thirds its size once again. So he went from 120 or so to to, to you know, just over just over under over 80,000. Um, and I was one of you know several thousand men and women around the around the, the British Army certainly uh, who found themselves on the chopping block um, as. Uh, forgive the phrase, but surplus to requirements, um, yeah. which is quite a quite a you know, hard feeling to receive after having spent the you know, best part of five six years or so back and forth in operations, and then found that actually you know sorry there's no more job for you. Uh, the government today, you know, financial crisis, would have to cut back, we have to let some places go. So, um, and let me let me just there. let me just let me just dig a little deeper there, please, Mark, because. Yeah. I- I, and, and I get it, and I know how we do it in military. You just gloss over stuff. It's just a bit of a conversation, and you just, oh, yeah, I did this, did this. And underneath that, I know there's loads of stuff going on. There's stuff happens, right? Shit happens, right, as we know. So how did that How did that make you feel at the time? I mean, you've given your life. You've been bounced around, in and out of operations, watching your men and women under your command and, and being under immense stress, strain and workload. And then all of a sudden, poof, he popped out the other end. And to put it into context, because I, I looked at the history of the military, the Royal Engineers alone, after the Second World War, just in the Corps of Royal Engineers, there were 250,000 of us. 250,000 sappers now you're talking about uh, cool because the cool happened. The SDR when was that in 1990, just before Iraq won? What a great time! Yeah, first century. Yeah, and I and I got out in '88, so I missed what my mates got when they got when they got the SDR payoff. But I mean, they always seem to do it at interesting times because, it, and and if you're an accountant and you're listening, <laughs> not against you, but the fact is. The military accountants, they just look at budgets, don't they? And they don't look at morale and workloads. And, and that's and that's that's to your point, Jerry. It's a good question to ask. You know, how do you feel about this? You, you do. It is very easy to get into a quite a, 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 a bitter mindset, exactly. But you know, you're you're leaving a family, um, and it is a family at that stage. A job that you love, a job that you're proud of, a job that makes you feel proud of yourself. Importantly. Um, for reasons that are not your fault, that are not something that you've done, or you know something you've not done, um, you know a mistake that you've made, nothing to do with that. It is you know someone else's mistake, way off somewhere else, you know in in the in the industry in the economy has dropped the ball, um, and all of a sudden now the men and women around me and myself and others we're all paying for it. Um, it. It could be very easy to allow yourself to get bitter, and as you as you say, you know being being military types, we often quite you know just sort of shrug our shoulders and suck it up fine, get on with it, move on. Um, don't knock that. Uh, it is the lesson that I took away from that experience was that being in the military and being in the military family is a lot more, a lot broader, a lot more longstanding and pervasive than just putting on a uniform in the morning and walking in, walking in through, the, uh, through the guardhouse. Um, what you come away with, what the art, what the military gives you is a set of, relationships a network um and and crucially although we don't realize at the time set of values you know a way yeah. of working and, and you know, values is a very trite term these days uh, every company has its value statement every company has values um i hate to say it but from my experience having been a consultant now in business for, for about eight years um you can always spot the companies that have trotted out a value statement because they think it looks good um you look at the behavior of the organization particularly leadership and if you see them behaving in a way that is completely divergent to the way their values indicates they would or should behave and make decisions, then those values aren't worth the paper they're written on. No. Um, but the values that you have from the military, um, again, it doesn't matter, RAF, Navy, Air Force, we're all pretty similar. The British Army, discipline, courage, loyalty, integrity, selfless commitment, respect for others. I can still reel these out today, the big six. Um and I can reel them out today, not because you know I've I've learned them by rote, but because they matter to me, because they are 
the values that I want to, I decided on my way out the door in the military in 2012, I wanted to apply to my daily life um, and run all my decision-making processes through to guide my behavior. And in a sense, that gave me some continuity outside of the military to say, that is what makes me a serviceman. Um, Irrespective of whether I'm putting on a uniform, the maintenance of those values is what I was proud of in the military, and I will keep those values and maintain them. I now look for, you know, I put everything, all my decision-making through those same values. Um, So I look for companies that demonstrate those same values that I can join and work with and feel proud of because they are similar to me. They are my values. Um, Adopted from my experience in the military, but they are now mine. I take them with me wherever I go. I judge 2012 was an interesting one. Um, I think as a young officer, I was probably quite uh, easygoing with politics at the time. I took no interest in in political decision-making, but let's face it, being in the military, we are one of these very odd organizations where uh, in a very high level way, we are able to vote for and decide upon who our shareholders and our stakeholders are. We get every four or five years, we get to vote on who are who, who the people who are going to guide our organization are. The political masters that we serve have got incredible power to send us places, not tell us what to do when we get there. That's down to us, but they do yeah. get to decide where we go to and what equipment we have when we get there. And, what I learned through the 2012 experience was to take more of an interest in how my country is governed that I have served. Um, you know, I, I'm quite happy to go and uh, travel the far-flung parts of the world in service of of, of, you know, of our great country. Um, and yeah, apparently I wasn't willing to go and walk 15 minutes up the road there to go and put a piece of paper in a box or go and send a postal vote in. So all of a sudden now, you know, I, I now have a reason to go and take an interest in how my country's governed and how it's worked. And, and I apply exactly the same rules, Joe. Um, you know, putting I, – I decide upon who and what party I wish to vote for based on the values. And I will choose the political party and the political personality that I vote for based on integrity, courage, loyalty, discipline, self-respect, um, selfless commitment and respect for others. And, and, you know, these those values help give some consistency to your time outside of the military, to your time out and away, because you are still feeling like you are part of that group and you are taking away the best of what military service has. Yeah. Combined with the network, you know, and your network of people that you make, the friends you make, they're all going to be living those same kind of values. So you maintain that family um, yeah. and, and that professional network through those values um, inside or outside the military. Thank you, thank you so much. And you, I, I, you know, I, I heard the statement as well banded around. And well, going back to your mission statement or vision statement or value statement, it is right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know of people who work for companies; they don't even know what the mission statement is, and if they do, they've learnt it, but parrot fashion verbatim. They don't understand what it means, and and, and it's and when someone comes up with it. Who knows what it is? But you're right. In the military, our values do definitely come through. And I remember you talking about political parties back in the Thatcher years when I I was we 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 were all, all there were a few regiments. First of all, we just thought it was our squadron turned up at Colchester. This was way before uh, Airborne went to Colchester. Airborne was still oldest shot, and and uh, then more and more. Four tonners kept coming during the day. Then we stayed there overnight. And then all of a sudden, we'd all uh, stand to uh, about 12 midnight. Then we're all moving. I, I was in the first four tonner. And I looked back, and as far as I could see, there were just four tonner lights, miles, like all engineering regiment. Uh, and we're driving, and we stop all of a sudden. There's a there's Robin Reliant across the road stopping us, stopping us from progressing. So... The officer get our, our uh, troop commander gets out as a word with him, and he says, "I'm not going anywhere. You can't come through here." So we just got a ten X up, you know, a big forklift truck, uh, and he just sped off. When we got when we got there, it then transpired what we were doing. We were going to an American base, and it was it it may or may not have had nuclear weapons in there. Our job was to put a Taipei. Uh, Barbed wire fence, double, so two Danic cars, plus one on top with six-foot pickets by hand with monkeys for, I think, 
the perimeter was over 10 miles. But we had to wow. put it in by hand all the way around. And that's why all the regiments were there, because each of us had a segment. We we had 800 metres, I think, that we had to do. That was that was my squadron's job. But in the morning, in the, in the, in the morning just at dusk, as we were manhandling some protesters, uh, a gazelle helicopter came in and Michael Heseltine jumped out. And it was at the time when our pay, there were pay disputes going similar to that to today. And, and my mate, my mate uh, just went, as he jumped out, he said, morning, morning, morning. He says, where's our pay rise? And then we all started looking, looking away. Because, <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't do anything about pay rise. But he said that. And as soon as he said that, Michael Hazel said, Tarzan, as he was all, well done, chaps. Turn around, straight back in the gazelle. Oh, off he Scroll went. Straight out of yeah. It's, it, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? We, you know, some of the best people we're ever going to meet, men and women in the services, you know, this podcast particularly relevant to it. Um, and yet, you know, we, we often feel like we're being led, you know, the old lion's led by donkey story comes up to it. Yeah. Um, I have I, I, I have a, a newfound sympathy and respect for um, people, you know, civil servants and politicians in very difficult leadership positions now Having grown up a bit and been and worked yeah. in the industry and worked with some of these people, and I was I did some work in the 2012 Olympics. I uh, worked with some of the characters in the Home Office who were, who were trying to make that a success and making sure it was a safe, successful games. Um, you know, I have a newfound sympathy, and and you will find this as well. It's very easy to look at people who are very different to you um, and and lack sympathy and lack understanding of their perspective. Um, and again, I, I'd point to the values as the way of finding some common ground there. You know, we we are most of us listening to this podcast are never going to be involved in politics, and, and many of us are very happy about that. Myself and mm-hmm. stay well yeah. away from that that industry, not interested. But that can break down some of the the empathy, the understanding of who those people are, because they're all humans, and in the day they're all people. They've all got their own drivers, they've got their own mission statements, their intents, their own mindsets, their own values that they put things through. Um, the key to understanding and the key to finding that kind of middle ground is to see where those values meet up and match. Yeah. Um, and and you know, when it comes to politicians, we get to choose them. So if we get bad ones, kind of got to turn the knife on ourselves a little bit. And we'll start one day, you know, is this our fault? If we, mm-hmm. if we don't like the people in charge, well, you know, we yeah. to be able to go and choose these people. Responsibility and women, because you know, we, we are willing to serve our country, to defend our country, to, to defend a lifestyle of an ideal. We should be willing to go and walk five minutes up the road and put a piece of paper in a, in a in a box. And if we're not, are we taking our duty as a you know, as a citizen of the country, but also as a service person? Are we taking that seriously? And um, yes, thank you. And that's a great point, actually. If it, it's not good, just whinging <laughs> it, because it, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? We don't do that. That's not what no, the military do. No, we don't do but, that. We, but, don't, we don't whinge. We get on with stuff. No, but I, I'm talking about population uh, generally, like. It, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that a lot of people complain, but the fact is that you never get a hundred percent turnout voting, right? And, and and they are the people that are going to send us off into the Ulu or whatever, yep. you know. So it is be careful what you wish for, certainly. So what you touched on it, um, and I just want to explore it a little bit deeper. When you left the military, there would have been a, a sense of loss because you've already said that. What problems did you have? Right, you've just you've just handed you've handed your bedding in, you've handed your kit in, Queen's Commission, yep. everything. You step out through the big raw iron gates, metaphorically speaking, it close behind you. So uh the challenges uh are a really good one. The first thing is money. Uh understanding how money works. Not something I think most of us are particularly good at in the military. Um, you know, first off. You know, throughout the gate, we, we live a very. It's important to recognise how odd our military life is when it comes to what our civilian counterparts, the life we're now attempting to take on, have to deal with in terms of day-to-day finances, business, and running things. A lot of that's taken care of us, uh, taken care for us in the military uh, to different degrees, and, it, and it's kind of up to us to decide how we, how much we want to go and dabble in understanding of finances and managing your day-to-day money. Um, and yet, of course, all of a sudden, out the gate. You now have to do that. The Career Transition Partnership does a good job, I think, of um, trying to set people up success when it comes to their job and their next career. 
I think maybe there is a bit of a blind spot in some cases with helping people get on with some of the more domestic day-to-day stuff that they haven't had to deal with. And and this is very variable depending on which career transition partnership you're part yeah. of on your way out the door. Some are brilliant at this. My, I, I went to the one in Tidworth uh, and the team at Tidworth were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they did cover this in, in 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 very detailed terms and there was some very good advice they were giving to soldiers, sailors and airmen to, to manage this. But... Yeah, it's it's. I think it's probably one of those areas that people aren't quite ready for until they move out. Um, in terms of how to manage that, the network, uh, and I'm sure you've talked about it on the podcast, and, and it's worth reinforcing here as well. Every job, the best jobs that I've had since I left the military and, and, and this ridiculous career path that I've been on that's landed me to this point working as a risk manager in aerospace, someone whose experience of aviation up until this point has been unmanned air systems, therefore obviously not being in um, to be working as I do now in, in aerospace as a risk manager um, and working in 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 you know in a, an industry I have no right or background necessarily to be involved in except for by by you know, capability and skill and knowing certain things and understanding and learning how things go. Um, they've all been I have I have always been introduced to those jobs by friends and by the network and I can name them for you and the exact you know, the people who set me up for success and got me from A to B to C to D to E to F to where I am now. It has all been about the network and about people uh, helping their fellow their fellow service men and women to the next rung of the ladder and, and, and asking questions. Um, so, you know, assets like LinkedIn. LinkedIn was quite a new thing when I started out my journey. Um, you know, it is a well-established resource now and it's well worth exploring. It's well worth sweating as much as you can do. Build a network. Get to know people, you know, before you even touch Facebook, on your way out the you know, on the way out the military, in the last year for your military, stop using Facebook and start using LinkedIn, um, and you know use that as your social media platform because that network you build will be phenomenally useful um, to getting you into jobs that you never imagined you'd even want uh, or yeah. never mind be good at and succeed at. Um, and you'd be amazed where that network will take you and how many growth opportunities you will get. Guaranteed, you probably won't get the job that you thought you were going to get on the way out the door. You will use some of the skills and lessons and courses that you've done in your career transition partnership. Others you won't go near again. Um, you know, I, I thoroughly recommend to anyone uh, um, who's interested in this, APMP, uh, the Associate for Project Management Professionals. Project management is a phenomenally useful course in general, uh, a good, a good you know, industry course to have under your belt. But it's, I haven't used it. Not not formally, not in any kind of formal way. I've I've done project management, but not through a, a more structured APMP course. But that learning in itself and having that course under your belt yeah. was absolute gold dust to put some structure to how you do things. Um, so some of these courses you will use, some of them you won't. To a degree, let the network take you to places and opportunities. And and you know that Jim Carrey film, Yes Man, say yes to everything. Yeah. You know, in those op- in the opening opening few years, say yes to absolutely everything. There should be no opportunity you don't say yes to when the door is open to you because eyes wide open you know you're into a new industry a new world um you know it's phenomenally exciting uh, and you know one of the military skills we have which we don't ever put in our cv is an inoculation to shock and horror you know to to, to surprise to to ambush you know yeah. our, our military training gives us a, a, an inoculation to change changing conditions rapidly changing conditions and again you don't put that in your cv but you know, this is, you know, your transition from, from military to civil is ultimately a change program. Um, and it will come with a degree of shock and surprise that needs to be managed. Um, but it's also an opportunity, you know, cha- change is an opportunity for growth. Um, and, it, and it should be treated as such and seized in that light. But the network that you have around you, the people who have made those transitions, who are going through it with you, who follow after you, um, they are the resource that will get you through this and, and use that. That's brilliant. Uh, fantastic. So, yes, that's a very good point about inoculation to shock and horror because it always interests me when I see CVs and they say, works well as a team and as an individual and can work under pressure. And I'm thinking, where have you copy and pasted that from? Um, and yeah. and how how true is it? That's not to say that if it, if it's someone who's aspiring to do that, then that's great. They should say that though on the CV rather than yeah. rather than say it in such confidence that you think, right, okay, these can deal with anything. Whereas in the military, I just think 
those guys can, if that makes sense. Well, look at look at your example you gave a minute ago there, Joe. You know the um, you know crashing out an entire regiment of you know, regiment, several regiments to go and do a you know a late night putting barbed wire up to go and secure a compound that has to be secured in forty eight hours or less. You know, but put, put into perspective the success, the achievement that that entire enterprise came with when. You consider these days, you know, it would take you know, civil industry about six, eight weeks to spin up the kind of infrastructure and yeah. manpower necessary yeah. to and produce something yeah. like that. We can do it in 48 hours. You know, talk about inoculation to change, you know, being ready in ag- agility. Um, you now, there are some common buzzwords out there these days. And I'm sure you, other, other people have talked to you about this. The translation of your skills um, into, into, into civilian speak. Um, you know, there's a lot of this. And the creator is impartial. We'll talk about this as well. When you go through it, translating your military experience into civilian speak. I think it's worth mentioning that someone told me this the other day, which is a really interesting uh, take on HR. These days, people, HR departments are looking less for experience and more for skills. So, you know, HR companies these days are not looking for people to say, you've had three years' experience in this industry or that industry. They're looking for parative skills that your experience may have given you, but there are other ways to gain skills than just experience. Now, that's great for us in the you know, ex, ex-military types, servicemen and women who are coming out now. Uh, I, I certainly felt this on my CV, looking at my CV and saying, I don't have civilian experience. I don't have experience I can put into my CV that is going to stand up to my civilian counterparts who've had five, six, eight, ten years in this industry already and are already ten years down the road ahead of me. Um, the world has changed in our favor in this way because we are now looking at skill sets, um, at demonstrable skill sets as, as, as the entry point into a job. Can you do this job? Can you survive in this industry? And in that sense, we, we have learned uh, uh, through our military experience some phenomenal skills, which, you again, you won't even appreciate. Resilience to change. And, and resilience is a big buzzword in the industry these days. It's not very well understood uh, what, what is resilience. Um, you know, in 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 simple terms, resilience and robustness, uh, characteristics that the that, that service leaders have in in spades, the ability yeah. to take a hit uh, and the ability to stand back stand back up again afterwards. You know, resilience and robustness. These are organisational terms, but they work at the individual level as well. You know, we are resilient people. We can we can stand up. We can keep going. Mm-hmm. We keep moving where other people would give you know would, would give way. Um, one of the common questions I'm sure you've been asking: How do you deal with failure? And I guarantee it, it, other other people on this podcast will have said the same thing, you know, learn from experience. But a phrase yeah. I heard the other day that I really liked uh, was, when you fail, fail small, fail fast. Um, you know, don't lick your wounds. Don't spend ages mulling over your failures and, and you know, and, and a halting progress, the learning experience that others will have talked about, you know, learning from failure, learning from from mistakes. Don't spend ages doing that by licking your wounds and, and wondering how it's perceived and worrying about perception. Yeah, yeah. We don't do this in the military, but it's a great characteristic. We fail quick. We fail fast. Make a mistake, pick yourself back up, go. And the quicker you can do that, and we talk about the OODA loop in the military, but the faster you can get back on the on the, on the horse again and start going, having learned from mistakes mm-hmm. and made a change, um, then you know, the, the smaller that failure, that mistake will ultimately mm-hmm. have in terms of an impact. Uh, again, how do you, how do you write that up? And, and, and that and, and that's great because that that's just reminded me of something we used to have a uh, phallic symbol of the week. It was called something else actually. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you see, in the military, right, a problem isn't a problem like a problem shared is a problem hard, but it was a problem eighth or whatever because it just went round the whole unit, and then it'd be squadron bar. You'd just have a laugh about it, and and it'd be effectively what it would be was. Um, what did you learn from that? They didn't necessarily say that, but that's what it was about. And a bit of a bit of ridicule in in a nice, friendly way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that and that also causes a sign of robustness. You know that, that that you know we are we don't mind a bit of you know hard criticism, bit of bit of jibing from our colleagues, because we know it's not personal. It's not yeah. you know it's not designed to be something that's at, and at you. It's making light of a failure. It's making light of a moment that everyone's had. And everyone has one, so everyone gets a turn. Um, but in doing so, that makes us more resilient, more You can't put that on a CV, but that is part of you as a service leaver, you know, as a, as a, as a serviceman or woman. You've been through the environment, you've survived it, you've got through it, um, you've enjoyed it, you've grown from it. You know, back yourself a little bit. When you come to this you know, big civilian industry we're talking about, it isn't as big and scary, and you'd be amazed how those... 
those skill sets are there in you that you may not recognize. One thing I would say that's worth mentioning, I think, at this stage is um, a word of caution. Having made a successful transition, which which I have no doubt everyone who's listening to this podcast will make, um, having made that transition, embrace the change, embrace the new environment you're in, avoid, like the plague if you can, trying to turn the organization you're in or the way you behave in it into a small little island of military behavior. Um, you know, part of making the transition is is welcoming and accepting the new environment you're in. You are now working with a civilian audience, people who've not had the same background and experience as you. We love our history. We love, you know, the, the dips, the war stories, pulling up sandbags and swinging lanterns yeah. and, and, and telling all these work because there are experiences that very people are ever, ever going to have, but they can also make us quite isolated. They can mm. turn us into a clique. Uh, they can make us quite individual and different from the people around us. If you're going to make a successful integration into a civilian organization, you've also got to recognize that those stories are not the stories of other people around you. Yeah. Um, and we do we do see it a lot. Company or organization that's got quite a few ex-military types in it that, that hire and recruits that actively looks for ex-military types. Um, you can find a bit of a clique developing with you know those ex-military types and then the non-ex-military types. Yeah. Um, what you're actually doing there, of course, is is making a little island, and, and that yeah. can be quite toxic mm-hmm. to an organization that's trying to pull together. You're actually building artificial barriers inside an organization through your ex-military experience. So do just take a moment to be aware of the people around you who are not of your caliber, of not of your type, of not of your background and history. And remember that you're working for them now. You know, you're not trying to make a little island of military behavior, ex-military behavior. You are joining a civilian organization to be a civilian. Yeah. You know, embrace the change. Don't fight against it. Uh, that's a great tip. Thank you, Mark. Because I, I, you'll know as well as I do the uh, the one-liner, civvies, right? But the fact is that, that once you leave the military, you are a civvy, right? And that, that's just it. So, and, and guess what? And what I found, right, because I've been out the military a little bit longer than you, and people are people, and they're all right. The, the fact is we've all got different experiences. It's just that we bring a different a different ability to orchestrate problems, challenges, successes, different differently than maybe the civilian, but working together, we can make an organisation so much powerful. So much more powerful. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. I mean, this word diversity is banging around at the moment in the civilian world. Um, and again, it, it's getting itself a bad rap because of the way the media is presenting it, perhaps. A great person gave me a, a really a really interesting insight into diversity the other day. You know, from a commercial point of view for a company, you know, companies that are running around with, um, you know, with diversity spread across their banners and their LinkedIn profiles these days. What are they actually talking about when they say diversity? And, and, they're not talking it's not diversity it's not so much diversity of people as diversity of perspectives of ideas Mm -hmm. of backgrounds because the more diverse your organization is to use that buzzword the more the more different kinds of people you have from different backgrounds i think races religions types genders the more perspectives you have on the same thing and again this is one for us to be aware of as military types we do we are beaten into a shape into a stock shape and size through our training, through our experience, you know, through a bit of peer pressure and groupthink, yeah, become quite what we think. So, you know, when we talk about diversity, it's not, and you can always spot an organisation that's doing diversity on a criteria basis for show, because they welcome in this diverse group of people, and then don't listen to them when they come to ask their perspective. Yeah, the organisations yeah. that get this right and are commercially benefiting from embracing this word called diversity are the ones who get these different ideas and perspectives in and then listen to them. Well, let's be honest, we are the military. We are ex-military types. We are part of that diversity criteria. Uh, And whether we recognize it in ourselves or not, when we join the civilian world, we are the more unusual. We are a diverse perspective, a different angle on the same thing. Exactly as you say, you know, we are, we bring a different perspective, different view, different angle, different background, Mm -hmm ethos values we are what part of that diversity criteria so before we start thinking too differently about you know diversity is this bad thing that's got a bad rap at the moment and it's being associated with terms like woke it's not about meeting criteria it's about getting in new perspectives and angles on a problem and and that's great and while you were saying that something popped up in my mind i remember because i always say to people and i i know i I would i would mention the royal engineers again because i'm a sapper 
But the thing is that infantry and artillery tend to come from geographical areas like the Kings, the the Cheshires or Mercian Regiment. The engineers come from all around the country. So when we were calling in, when we were calling in uh, some, I don't know, mortar or something, mortar support, we had to be, we developed an accent that we could all understand because in the engineers, we've got Irish, we've got Welsh, we've got Scottish, we've got... Cockneys, we've got Geordies, we've, we've got Commonwealth. So we had to be clear on communication. So if we're calling in support fire, we've got to be dead clear on our comms and it'd be read back. Uh, so you've got dead right. And and I suppose that's that's just a snapshot of what diversity is. You've got to believe yeah, it and you've got to be clear on your comms, haven't you, really? It's yeah, understanding someone else's point of view. You know, yeah, it's a great comms is a great one, isn't it? It's um, you know, this word empathy again. It sounds like a you know a very warm, fluffy word. Um, you know the kind of word that my university course, you know, do, yeah, doing yeah, a drama yeah. media course would have would have embraced. You know, em- empathy is a, a phenomenally useful consultancy skill, and I guarantee you, whether you realise it or not, every person in the military has exercised a huge amount of empathy. It's about walking a day in someone else's shoes. You can't communicate someone. You can't pass instruction or an order across to anyone unless you understand their perspective. When we give our orders process, when junior NCOs will learn this all the way up to and including brigadiers and generals, when we are giving our instructions and our orders to our soldiers, sailors and airmen you know, as, as an officer, as a leader you can't lead if you can't pass that instruction, that order, that, that guidance across to them in a way that they understand, they translate and they can use. So yeah. I guarantee you, every leader, every person going through Sandhurst or Limpston or Cranwell or anywhere else um, has exercised empathy by being able to pass an, an idea from one person to another in order to help them understand, to see the world through their eyes and translate it. Um, again, you cannot put money on the, the value of that skill to empathize and then see the world in a more diverse way. Best job I ever had, in in without hands down, was was being a fire support team commander for the Gurkhas for six months in Afghanistan. Oh, Gurkhas, you know, great, great. They, they're just best best men I've ever worked with. You know, the best yeah. regiment because they are so phenomenally different from your average everyday British regiment, and the amount of learning and you know, just, yeah, it, the, the the entire experience was a gift um, because it was something different. And so it amuses me when people talk about having to get be on a train for hours or in a car for hours. The Gurkhas, right? My experience of them, they get flown over to uh, to Nepal, and then they've got to walk three days to get home. Yep, yep, and that's their leave. Uh, uh, and they and would so, do it, and they are the most incredible uh, so people. 14, absolutely, fourteen days leave and six of that's tabbing to to see the tabbing. Yeah. Uh, they're phenomenal, yeah, definitely, and, and and it's interesting about being a leader, uh, officer, uh, section commander, because you got to have lived in their boots and understand what you're sending them to. Because wh- when the officers, like you, you became a young officer training for the artillery. Well, the engineers get the same young officers course, and they come and yep. we. And I, I worked, I worked at Chandine Barracks, so we used to do course support. So we would help the officers when they were doing bridges. We had some great laughs with them. Uh, hey, yeah, uh, I, I won't go into the story now, but there was some great times. Pins, pins going in the wrong way and all sorts. Yeah, I can yeah, imagine. yeah, you can well imagine. But the fact is that when those guys came out the other the, the other end, they knew the stuff that they were expecting the the lads and lasses to do, which which is what it's all about. Because every time they put pen to paper or made an order that they knew what they were sending the guys to. Again, empathy. Yeah. This is an important question for me, and, and, and I've had mixed mixed reactions to this. What's the, what's the secret to your success? The people around me. I, 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 I'd love to say, I'd love to sit here, Joe, and tell you that, you know, where I've got to now, you know, the, the, the ridiculous story of a transition away from... In my military life into into this you know in, into the jobs that I've had and jobs I'm now going into you know the luck that that sits there you know I, I would point to luck but of course like we said earlier you make your own luck and in this case my luck is entirely down to the people around me who have helped me set me up success guided me mentored me coached me you know pushed me sometimes you know supported I, I remember a lesson I learned in the career transition partnership. Uh, a, a, one of the sort of the, the, the chaps who came and talked to us, who was very much a business guy, and he came up with this this story called the favor bank. 
the ability to pass on a favour that's done to you, to both enjoy someone giving you a help up, also paying that forward, doing the same thing for um, it's all about paying that 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 support network. Yeah, gotcha. So yeah, the the, the concept of the favour bank, you know, the ability to pay f- forwards, uh, you know, a favour done to you to to pay forward to someone else. Uh, every every time someone gives you a help out, a chuck up, points you in the direction of a job or a course, or gives you a you know, piece of advice, pay that forwards. Um, again, one of the reasons I'm here now talking to you, uh, you know, and 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 some of the, the great work that you do in helping people transition is part of that favour bank. We all contribute to it. We all make deposits into it, and we all withdraw from it at times. The key thing is to keep it topped up uh, and make sure that every new generation of service leavers of men and women from the services look after each other by paying into that favour bank, by looking after each other on LinkedIn, by doing things like this, giving advice and guidance, offering coaching and mentoring. Uh, uh, you know, where requested and where required to the people, you know, all of my success is down to the network and the willingness of people to go and do me a favor and give me a leg up. Um, and again, the reason I'm here talking to you now is because I owe that network of people, that favor bank, a massive debt. Uh, and I will keep repaying and putting money back into it, keep making deposits uh, as long as I live, because I owe it hugely for where I am today. Thank you for that. Uh, and that's that's a brilliant attitude. And it, it's interesting you know, sometimes we, when we when we get out the mercy and we all go through it, that when the raw iron gate metaphorically closes behind us, that only means that another gate's opening because I, I did some research because of the, the, the charity Transformation for Veterans that I'm connected with. The amount of people that are either ex-military or directly affected by those who are ex-military or know someone in the military closely was... Last time I looked, about over 22 million people in the UK. So so just because you get out doesn't mean to say you're on your own. And and I love the way now that the skills are being, which you mentioned before, uh, translated into civvy, civvy speak. Because yeah. on LinkedIn, I see it more and more, which is really great. Uh, and and I, I, when I see people looking to open to network, I've just, I've just liked and shared one this morning. Because it means that they want to they want to share their experience, which I think is fabulous. Um, yeah. And you mentioned the, the the importance of having a good coach mentor. I, I think you've really really done that, a great service. How valuable do you think the skills are to, and transferable into civvy street that you learn in the military? I think I think you've touched on it, but now I want you to identify it specifically. We, we will never know just how marketable we are to the civilian world until we actually enter into it and start doing it. Um, and I say marketable because you can't easily put a dollar value um, on on resilience, on robustness as a character, on mission focus, on self-discipline, on you know a, a sort of attitude of get the work done until it's done. Um, there are cautionary tales with all these things as well. We need to be aware that every, every good thing has a bad thing attached to it as well. So, you know, watch out for exploitation. Watch out for people who, uh, or organizations perhaps, who will hoover up ex-military types um, because of a work ethos that they wish to exploit. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and again, the, the answer to that, the cure to that, is the network, once again, asking questions, finding which companies are good, which companies treat their ex, their, their ex-services types well, and those yeah, who you know who people leave and feel exploited, um, because we are very loyal, and and loyalty is a a hugely valued characteristic for business, but it can be exploited um, for those organisations that don't share the same values and don't value people in the way that they should. For anyone who's been in leadership positions, um, you know, characteristics like empathy, as we said earlier, the ability to walk a day in someone else's shoes, to translate in a mission-focused way, an idea, a plan, a strategy, an executable way of doing something to achieve an aim, to achieve a goal, risk management. You know, what the industry that I'm now involved in, risk. Believe it or not, it's quite risky to sling large amounts of high explosive into the battle space, at least whizzing past your head and you know, using words like danger close. Yeah. Uh, those that They are all risk management terms. So again, use the network. Ask people who've made those transitions, how do I... How do I translate the skills, experiences, 
the background that I've got, how I translate that into a civilianized term. And those people who've made that transition should always be happy to help you make those links between, right, so you've done this over here. Well, actually, that can be, you can call that this project, you know, yeah. I want to build a bridge, project management. Um, you know, yeah. I organized a, organized a, a, you know, a, a, a junior NCO bar evening, right? You know, Oktoberfest for junior NCOs meeting, planning, execution, you know, organization, project management again. You know, you can translate these these things that you've done into skills that you've learned. And quite often we don't even realize it. We don't even know. Yeah. That, you know and because, H, because HR these days is focusing more on skills, it's a golden opportunity for us to say we can translate how our experiences result in skills. Yeah. And, and I quite often, it brings it home to me with, with my sons as they grow older. Uh, my eldest is 26, uh, then 20, 21 and 18. And when, they, when they're confronted with a task, I say, oh, we just do this, this and this. And they go, oh, <laughs> as it, uh, you know, and, and you say, all oh, right, okay, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> Maybe it's not as easy as I think it is, and I'm sure you do the same because you because you're right when it's when it's flash bang uh, and and things are going things are going off around you. You don't get that in City Street, but the fact is that you can so easily utilize those skills in civilian, non-threatening ways, or, or, or things that are happening that aren't threatening to civilians other than profit margins. But yeah. use it in 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 the same sort of way, if that makes sense. So, I mean, it's a really good point you make as well, Joe. That you know, one of the things we're not used to doing, and, and a blind spot that that you know servicemen and women will have when they leave, is working for an organisation whose mission statement is about making money. That was a that was a shock to me. That was a, a surprise, and, and it's a mindset shift between an organisation that's built on success of the mission, a success of an objective that quite often is non-commercial in nature to working for an organization that does have a commercial angle to it that is you know, ultimately there to make money for shareholders, stakeholders, um, you know, for, for, for anyone who's investing in the company. That The objective here is to make money and make more. That is a massive blind spot for us because it's not something we're necessarily familiar with when we leave. Um, and it's something to get used to. It's not a bad thing. You know, it is ultimately a mission statement. It's a, it's a profit margins are a measure of success. We measure our success in the military by other metrics, um, yeah. but it is but a metric for success. So don't worry about the idea of a commercial organization making money. There's nothing dirty about it. There's nothing unusual about it. It is simply a different form of success metric. Mm. Um, and, you know, and and see it in that light. It, it doesn't become quite so unfamiliar and quite so quite so strange. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Uh, a great tip. Finally, uh, it's been well. It's been an absolutely brilliant roller coaster, roller coaster of an interview. We've covered so much, and and thank you for sharing your knowledge, experience, and wisdom. Last question, which is sort of the Colombo question, like the oh, just one more thing. What's the one thing, the biggest tip you could get to someone who's still in the military and thinking about leaving or has left the military and maybe things aren't going as well as they wanted to. What's the biggest tip you could give them to help them achieve their success? Take a second to write down everything you've done. Yeah. I mean, journal is a, is a, is a common phrase they use in the, in the civilian world now, keeping a journal. Take a minute to take stock of what you've done and what you've achieved, um, particularly when things aren't going well it's very easy to get into what we would call the 24-hour battle mode, you know, crisis mode, dealing with things in a very kind of short-term way, not be able to see beyond the end of your nose. Yeah. Um, thinking in very small terms. Um, again, the military teach this well, but it's 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 still a, a discipline to do and get right, is to take a condor moment, so to step back, take that 3,000-foot view. You know, For those who are thinking about leaving, do it in a very clear-eyed way. Don't, for God's sake, leave the military because your current job is a bit crap or it's not what you wanted or your boss is giving you a hard time those are short-term reasons to leave take a minute to look at the industry and say you know listen i'm going to move jobs in two years i'm going to transition or the boss is going to be gone in a couple of years time at worst you know i mean one of the nice things about the military and the good things and bad things is that you know officers move around people shift jobs you know there's, there's loads of opportunities to shift around the place yeah, don't leave in a reactionary way. Never leave the military or think about leaving the military as a reaction to something else because that's taking something away from you that's out of your control. Um, yeah. That said, that said, 
always look at the opportunities that are out there in the big wide world and ask yourself the question, do I want a different challenge? Um, you know, no matter what, you know, by the time, let, let's assume that everyone does a relatively short four-year career in the military, what you would have learned in those four years will set you up for success for a lifetime. Um, and the transition to civilian life is, it feels scary at the time, um, mm. but it's also the best thing you'll ever do. And I think it's also it's also always worth reminding ourselves that is the real world. This is the yeah. real world. You know, the civilian world. I am now a civilian. Okay, mm-hmm. this is the real life. This is what this is what we are there to defend, to serve, to look after, to maintain, to ensure prosperity and growth for. We serve in the military to to enjoy the fruits of this world here. So, in some ways, I think we should always aspire to becoming more normal by joining the civilian world, but albeit with those amazing experiences and backgrounds that we picked up in our military service. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's brilliant. And and just to also add to that, something that also came to mind is even if things or even when things are going ro- wrong, not to plan, and you have difficulty remembering all those things, the fact that you wake up, your heart's pumping, your lungs helping you breathe, the body is an amazing thing and the mind is even more amazing. So it's about just reflecting on all those things that you've just mentioned there, Mark. Yeah, take it, taking a minute, take that condor moment to you know to, to step away from the immediate and look at it in a, in a, in a bigger picture if you can. Uh, again, it's a discipline. It's one that we get used to. Um, you know, the military is very good at this one, but that condor moment is absolute gold dust to get a bit more perspective. Take a different view, you know, move around the flank, take a, take a, take a 90 degree angle on it. Look at the problem again in a different way. You know, do that. Ask someone else to give you a hand on it. Ask their opinion. You know, again, use the network. You know, all these perspectives, this diverse set of experiences we've got from different regions, uh, you know, sappers, gunners. We routinely bang heads with each other, but actually we're yeah. more similar than we'd like to admit in a routine <laughs> yeah, way. No, but we all but we all have different experiences to share. And if you want, you know, that that condor moment can be helped by someone just providing you a different angle and a different view on the same problem. Yeah. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Joe. Been good to speak to you.